Thank you, Pastor Richard, for inviting me to come and share with all of you today. I wanted to go ahead and open our time with a time of prayer. Will you play, pray with me? Father God, um, we believe that you are our good and heavenly Father who has amazing things planned for us. But sometimes when we're in the middle of life circumstances, it's hard to see what you're doing. It's hard to know that you are still moving. And so, Father God, in this place, in this time, we ask that you would draw close to us. We ask that we might feel your presence around us, that we might have hope that you are still working things out. Father, would you encourage us with this word from you? Would you encourage us with the word from each other so that we might draw closer to you and experience your presence more fully? I'm so glad that I have the opportunity to join with you today. My name is Beth Wolf, and I am um, a pastor at Clarksburg Church, which is actually a sister church of your church. And, and uh, I've spent much time with, with Richard and Camille, and so I'm so glad that we have the opportunity to just uh, share a word that God has put on my heart and bring it to you. Now, my understanding is that you've been in a season where you're looking at passages of scripture that, that help us understand what it means to be close to God and what it looks like to dwell in his presence. And so uh, when Richard shared that that was what you were trying to do, one of the things that I reflected on was the power that gratitude has in making us more aware of God's presence in our lives and drawing us closer to him. So today I wanted to spend some time looking at Psalm 105 as an example of what it means for us to be grateful and to give thanksgiving and praise to God. Now, during this message, I want to invite you to use the comment section and that's on the Facebook page um, below this video where you can respond to some of the questions that I ask um, and you can, as we go through this text. Additionally, at the very end, I'm actually going to invite each of you to share a story in the comment section below uh, that sort of is a response opportunity because of what it is that we're talking about today. But to warm up, I want to invite you to share in the comment sections today about your experience with thank you cards or thank you notes. Um, how do you feel about them? Uh, do you write them or do you not write them? Are they important for you to receive or not so important? So go ahead and jot that down in the comment section below. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about my experience with them. When I was younger, uh, I used to be required to write thank you notes all the time and I would complain about them. I did not enjoy writing thank you cards. Uh, my response to my parents who made me write thank you notes was why do I have to do this? Um, and the response that they gave me, the reason why I had to do it was one of two things. It was one, well, it's always nice to get a thank you. Uh, and when that didn't work to sort of get me to fall in line, the second thing that they would say was, well, if you don't write a thank you note, then they may not give you a gift on your next birthday or on Christmas. And so for me, I sort of started to develop this understanding that thank you notes were written and given out of guilt <laughs> and out of threats. Now. Maybe that was just my experience, but at least for me, that has, had a sig that has significantly shaped my understanding of what it means for us to give thanks to God, which is actually a little bit of a problem because guilt and threats are sort of missing out um, on the real purpose of why it is that we should engage with gratitude and thanksgiving towards our God. 
Now at the core of both of those answers of why do we give thanks? Why do we offer gratitude? Um, both of those are really about the giver, right? It's about making sure that the giver feels appreciated and seen and that the giver feels good about what they've given. All of those are about appeasing the giver. But the most ridiculous um, and sort of practical example that I can think of about the idea um, uh, that I can think about the idea that if you don't give thanks to God before you uh, do something, then, then something bad might happen is really this thing that I heard when I was younger, which was this idea that if you don't give thanks to God before you eat your food, you might choke on it and die. Now, I know that sounds ridiculous. It is ridiculous, but that's a little bit of what I had been taught. That if our and the reality is, is if our gratitude is coming from a place of guilt and fear, then it's not really gratitude at all. It's it's something else. I don't know what it is, but but it's not really gratitude. Gratitude is never given out of threat or guilt or fear. And that's why we're going to look at the book of Psalms and sort of understand where should our gratitude be coming and, and how should we be postured as we're giving our gratitude to God so that we are drawn into his presence so we can be more aware of what it is he's doing in our lives. Now, what's interesting in the book of Psalms, Psalms and when it talks about prayers and gratitude, it's talking about prayers of gratitude that work radically different than sort of cosmic thank you notes as we might understand them in our understandings. A great example of this is found in Psalm 105, which is what we're going to read in just a second. But as we read this psalm, um, I invite you to see if you can decipher who the psalmist is speaking to. All right, so if you can figure that out, you can put it in the comment section below. So here's how the first two verses go. Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. So did you get that? Who is David who wrote this psalm? Who is David speaking to? Who is he talking to? Well, if you caught it, David is talking to all the people, the assembly, the gathering of the people of God, sort of like the congregation as we're gathered in this virtual space today. He's saying, tell about the ways that God has shown up in you in your life. All you people tell about the ways that he's shown up. Now, this is a very different way to give thanks to God than we normally do. The most common way that many people have grown up learning to give thanks to God is, again, before they eat. We say things like, dear God, thank you for this food. We're glad to eat it. Thank you that somebody made it. Make, it, uh, make us strong, right? That's how we have often been taught how to share gratitude for what God has given us. But let's compare this for a second to our normal before meal prayer of thanks um, and, and sort of what David is talking about when he says, hey, all you people of the assembly, give praises, give thanks, right? Let's compare it. First of all, when David says in Psalm 105, like, hey, all you people give thanks to God, right? First, there's a lot more energy behind it. David is really like invoking praise and gratitude among the people. But it's more than that. Like, think for a second. Let's imagine that how David prayed is actually the way that we pray before a meal. Where, where we would say before a meal, like, hey, all you people, give thanks to God. May we tell of your great stories, right? And then you started eating. How would that shape your understanding of what giving thanks to God was all about? 
I think it would change the entire posture of the meal. Thanks wouldn't have been something that you just did at the beginning of the meal so that you could move on and eat your meal while it's still hot. Instead, it would sort of craft your entire posture of the table around giving thanks as something that you did the entire time that you were eating. That as people shared their highs and lows from a posture of God's activity, that, that he was working among them. Uh, this is the act of thanksgiving. Telling the stories of the way that God had shown up and acted in our lives. That changes everything. What if we shifted our thinking about what Thanksgiving looks like from writing thank you notes out of guilt and fear into telling stories about what God has done in our lives? How would that change everything? How would that begin to change the things that we're paying attention to? That within our own families, when we sit together down at the table, we're sort of going throughout the day looking for ways that God is present in our life, that God is active in our life, so that when we gather together, we have stories to share. That when we gather together as a corporate body, we're not simply waiting to hear what the pastor or the preacher has to say. But instead, we're also looking towards each other. How did God show up in your life? How did God show up in your life? What can we share to tell the good news of how God has come? So think about this for a second, and you can put the com your comments and your thoughts in the comment section. How would shifting our idea of what Thanksgiving to God is from the cosmic thank you note to telling and proclaiming the stories of what God has done in our lives, how would that change our perceptions of God? How would that change our understanding of how close and near he is? But also, how would that change our very being, right? In verse three, David continues, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. See, the psalmist makes some sort of a connection between giving thanks and seeking God's presence. That when we retell the stories of how God has stepped into our lives, we all of a sudden see that we weren't alone. That he was present and he was with us. And that changes our posture. Listen to how the psalmist recounts their story of how God was present in their lives. Now, quick warning, we're going to read a lot. So stick with me as we read through the rest of the psalm. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever and the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham. Now stop there. The story that David is telling is harking all the way back to Father Abraham. He's starting with that and saying, oh my goodness, do you remember that part of the story? Do you remember when God made a covenant with Abraham? When he came to Abraham and while Abraham was no one, he told him that he would make him a great name. He would make him a great nation, that he would give him land and a family. And so David continues as he remembers, this is the story of how God has intervened with his people. 
right? In verse 9, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statue, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion and uh, uh, for an inheritance. And when they were few in number of little account and sojourners in, or in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Right? So as David's telling the story. He's sort of reminding the people of like, hey, you know this story. You know what has happened. They faced many dangers. There was not an offspring, and then there was an offspring. And God delivered them again and again. And even when there were few, he was still with them. Continuing in verse 16, when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Do you remember the story when Joseph was sold as a slave by all of his brothers and Joseph was like, the world is ending. Like, how could this possibly redeemed? And yet God used Joseph, even in the midst of his slavery, as a one who would go ahead and prepare a way for the rest of his family when a famine would hit. And so David continues, his feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. Until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. Again, we're still talking about Joseph. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all of his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach the elders wisdom. Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, and the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. Do you know where we are in the story right now? That's right, we're in Exodus, when the people, uh, right before the people become slaves, and we're going to see that part of the story be retold now. He turned their hearts to hate his people than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen, and, he perform, and they performed signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. Do you hear the story? In the middle of slavery, Moses and Aaron are sent by God to set the people free. He sent darkness and made the land dark, and they did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts through their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke and the locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation in their land and ate up the fruit of their ground. He struck down the firstborn in their land, the first fruits of their strength, and then he brought out Israel with silver and gold. There was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen upon it, and he spread a cloud for covering and a fire giving them light by night. Right? This is the beautiful picture that we're getting painted through David that's saying, hey, do you remember when this happened? Do you remember how God delivered us? And so we continue in verse 40. They asked and he brought quail. Remember that part? They immediately get out 
of Egypt. And then they're like, wait, there's no food. <laughs> there's no water. And God delivers them and meets them even in that, that they asked and he brought quail and he gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham, his servant. So he brought his people out with joy and he, his chosen ones with singing. And he gave them the lands of the nations and he took possession of the fruit of the people's toil that they might keep his statues and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Right? There's David recounting the story of what God has done. Psalm 105 tells the story of the Hebrew people. In fact, many, many, many of the Psalms go back and tell the story of where they had come from, where they had been, and ultimately what God has done for them. The story that they go back to most frequently is the story of Exodus. They retell the story again and again and again. Which in some ways is ironic because when they were in the middle of the story, the Israelite people kept forgetting what God had done for them, like even just two months ago. Like, do you remember that part of the story? How God had just like set them free in this miraculous way and parted the waters to let them walk through on dry ground. And almost immediately they get into the desert and they're like, we should have gone back to Egypt. I wish we were still there. Like God's not providing for us here. And God's like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? God had just done all of these plagues and these miracles to deliver them. They'd walk through water on dry ground. There was a cloud and fire leading them. And still they get to the desert and they're like, oh, I wish we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt, where we sat by meat pots and ate our full of bread, uh, for you have brought us into the wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. They had immediately forgotten what God had done for them, the ways that God had delivered them and shown up for them. And this really wasn't the last time that they'll forget. Again and again, they failed to remember what God had done for them. And if they can't remember, then they can't be thankful. And so what God commands them to do as they enter into the promised land is actually to set up altars of remembrance, altars of thanksgiving, to tell the story of what God had done for them over and over again so that they can remember how God was present as they went through difficult times, how God was present as they journeyed through the wilderness, how God was present to bring them into this new land. And every time they tell the story of God, it's an offering of thanksgiving to God for what he did for them. Now, many of us have core stories or core ways that God has intersected in our lives, has met us in our tracks in surprising and unexpected ways. We hold on to those stories because even when things are shaky and rocky, we know that we can hold on to the truth of what God had done in that moment. We're certain, no matter what darkness is now, no matter what is happening now, we're certain that God did that. We're certain of that. And so we hold on to those stories. And there's something about telling the stories of the ways that God has shown up for us that renews our spirit. Hold on one second. That renews our spirit. God shows up for us in the uh, God shows up in the past in these amazing ways and it reminds us that God is going to do it again. He's going to show up in amazing ways again and again. And so prayers of thanksgiving or or offerings of gratitude are certainly for God, but in some ways they're more for us. 
They change our posture and our own perspective. They remind us that God has shown up in the past and that God is faithful to show up in the future. This presence of God will be with us continually. Even when things get messy and broken, God is still with us. And so what I wanted to do this morning as a, as a way um, to minister to each other and to ourselves, but also to offer um, praise and gratitude to God, as I wanted to invite us to tell stories of how God has intervened in our lives. And my invitation for you is to actually use the comment box below that as you're watching and listening to the end of this, that you would have an opportunity to just type out a quick story of how it is that God has met you um, at, in some way in your life. It could be a story that just happened this past week of how God um, met you in a place or how he was close to you. Or it could be one of those core stories that maybe happened years ago that you continue to hold on to knowing that he is present, that he is real, that he is in the spaces around us. Now, some of these um, stories, um, uh, sorry, now, some of you might be thinking, okay, I've got nothing. Like, I, I don't have a story to share. I'm in the middle of the dark night of the soul. It feels like God is very distant and very far away. And it's hard to remember how he has been present or that he is even present now. And what I want to make sure is that as we approach this time, you don't have the pressure to like look on the bright side. <laughs> like uh, you don't have the pressure to be like, oh, well, you know, everything's terrible. My, my dog died and my truck died and I got evicted from my house or whatever the story might be. And I don't want you to feel like you have the pressure to like just look on the bright side, right? Giving thanks to God is not about looking on the bright side. Sometimes as the church, it can be really unhelpful when we try to encourage other people to be grateful with phrases that are riddled with guilt, <laughs> like find something to be happy about. Don't be sad. Don't grumble. Be thankful in all things. Now, while those phrases are really great, the reality is, is that being thankful is not the same thing as slapping a silver, linel, uh, silver lining on everything and saying, well, it could be worse or, well, at least you have, which is what it feels like all of those other answers are doing. So here's the question. What does thankfulness look like when we're in a season when the gifts that God has given us don't seem to be flowing? When we look out and it doesn't actually feel as though God is very near or very present. I mean, even as I was preparing this sermon, I felt like, well, I don't know that I feel like God is very close. I don't know that I have a lot to be thankful for. And then I heard a preacher by the name of Tim Mackey tell a story about his guitar. And I want to tell it to you now because I think it might be helpful. Tim Mackey talked about how he had this guitar and he had had it for years and it wasn't a very expensive guitar and he wasn't very good. In fact, when he bought the guitar, he didn't even know how to play guitar. But quickly after having this guitar, he was really, really frustrated with the guitar because it was always out of tune. He would look at it and whenever he picked it up to play it, it would be out of tune and he'd take one or two strums of the guitar and it would be out of tune again. And then he would spend all this time trying to retune it. And eventually he just was like, this is the worst guitar in the world. Like he was not grateful or thankful for this guitar at all. And so he kind of put the guitar in the back burner and said he didn't really have much hope for it. 
Until one day he was talking to a friend of his who actually is a guitarist, who knows a lot about guitars, and he was sharing with his friend about how he really didn't like this guitar, how it really didn't work for him. It wasn't really very effective. And uh, his friend said, you know what, let me take a look at that guitar. And so his friend looked at the guitar and as he was looking at the neck of the guitar, one of the things he realized was that while the guitar neck should be going straight, his guitar kind of slightly bent, right? Which caused there to be uneven pressure on the guitar strings, which was causing the guitar to go out of tune. And so Tim was like, well, that's great. Like, I'm so glad that, that there, that, that there's a reason at least why my guitar is broken, but like, or, but I, I can't do anything about it. And his friend said to, to his friend said to him, Oh, but I can do something about it. Like I can fix it. Do you want me to fix it? I can fix it for you. And all of a sudden Tim's heart was filled with hope because he knew someone that could fix the guitar. And so it opened the possibility that he could actually be thankful for the guitar, even in its present condition, even though it was still broken and it hadn't been fixed yet. All of a sudden he was excited that he had this guitar, even in its brokenness. Now, sometimes we're able to tell the stories of God intervening in our lives from the end. We can look back and we can say, whoa, I see, I see how it worked. Yes, I was in slavery, but he led me out of that and he met me in this space. But sometimes we don't have that luxury. Sometimes we're still in the middle of the mess, in the middle of the brokenness, but we can still be thankful because we know a God who can fix it. We know a God who can take whatever the brokenness is and make it whole. And so we can be thankful even in the middle of the darkness because we know that in the end, God wins. That God can take every broken thing and make it whole. We believe in a God who has stepped out of the majesty of heaven and laid down his glory to enter into our pain, into our darkness, into our death because of his infinite power and holiness. Death could not hold him. Darkness could not overcome him. And so if death on a cross or darkness of the grave could not hold him, then whatever death or darkness you're experiencing has nothing on our holy God. So even in our darkness, we can give thanks because even though, even through our situations, our relationships, our lives might be broken, we know the one that can and is in the business of redeeming and restoring all things. And so I invite you during this moment in the comments below, during the next song, the rest of the week, to give thanks to the Lord, to call upon his name, to make known his deeds among the people, to sing to him, to sing praises to him, to tell of all of his wondrous works. So during this last song, I want to encourage you to practice telling the story of what God is doing in your life or and to trust that he will bring those things to completion.